welcome to the Supergirl Supercast. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Job, and I'm feeling less inhibited. <laughs> and I'm Deanna Chapman, finally returning since I've caught up on the show now. Yay! Okay, well, today we are discussing uh, Season 5, Episode 7, Tremors. David, why don't you remind us what happened? Alex and Kelly talk about past trauma. Kelly almost breaks them up, but they talk and will help each other heal. John, Mirren, and Malefic talk about past sins. John talks to his subconscious Vision Mirren, who rightfully tries to take some blame. Vision Mirren knows that Malefic is caged nearby and offers John a difficult choice. John and Malefic bond, which opens Malefic to John's feelings. Hugs happen. Lena and Kara talk about past betrayals. Lena reveals herself to Kara while stealing Myriad to deliver do no harm. Lena twists the metaphorical betrayal knife as far as she can and leaves Kara trapped and crying. Gemini and Ramakan talk about the past. Leviathan is a bunch of aliens from Krypton's star system who have been manipulating humanity since killing off the dinosaurs. Who knew? Margo and Ramakan both failed to get the medallion of Akrata, so we'll see what Gamemnai has planned. Also, Alex and Brainy get hurt when Rip Roar's body explodes. Brainy gets less inhibited. Well, another action-packed episode and one with things happening that I was expecting to keep hovering for, uh, oh, quite a few more episodes. <laughs> I was amazed that they did the Lena reveal so quickly. This had so many reveals because uh, we, we get both the Leviathan reveal and Lena reveal. It's like, wow. Yeah, they're really pushing the pace this season. And I'm hoping it works out on the back half of the season because it feels like they're kind of trying to get through a ton of stuff before crisis happens because that's been touched on in some of the other shows but with supergirl they're so focused on what's going on in their world that we haven't heard it mentioned as much as we have on arrow or the flash and it's one of those things where it makes you wonder okay is there going to be some massive thing that happens in Supergirl? And then we go right into Crisis, which is going to be an even more massive thing. And, you know, with the way they're pushing this Lena storyline, I was like, wow, that's a lot to take in, guys. <laughs> Indeed. I can't believe that they're just going to dispose of the whole Leviathan plot line before Crisis. And so it must be that they're just going to have some kind of lull or something. Leviathan will have some kind of temporary setback and go into hiding before roaring back in the second half of the season. Something like that, maybe? That would be my guess, too, that we're going to see a couple episodes and then there'll be sort of a lead into crisis that sort of implies a lull in the current plot line. But this episode does still touch on a bunch of things that crisis will depend on, because this episode covers Lex's death, which we can safely assume the monitor reversed and Lex is alive in some fashion, as uh, Luthers are important, probably, to the crisis storyline. As well, Malefic was brought here by the monitor. So those two elements of this plot are part of the connective tissue of Crisis. So we saw some of those moving forward. I'll be shocked if Leviathan wraps up uh, before Crisis. Yeah. 
Well, since we've already started talking about a couple of them, we can either start with Lena and Kara or with the Jean Malefic Marin thing. So many options, but I do have a lot of thoughts on Lena this season in general. And I know I have a little catching up here to do since we're on episode seven here, and I have not been able to say anything <laughs> until now. Right. Well, definitely you start then. Give us a little summary of your feelings of what's happened so far. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't surprised that they eventually had Kara out herself to Lena, basically. But the way that Lena took it, I think, surprised me because she always felt like the one character who was always hesitant to get close to everyone. We saw in some flashbacks how she didn't really want to be part of Kara's personal life. And she slowly warmed up to that. So I guess because of the fact that Kara was able to sort of break through that barrier with Lena, it did sting a lot that she had to learn it from Lex. But we also know that Lex just does stuff to spite Lena. And you would think she would be smart enough to know that by now. So to have her completely do this sort of 180 and become the villain, essentially, or one of the many villains this season, there's a lot to keep track of, it was a little disappointing to me because it always felt like they wanted her to be the Luther who didn't turn into Lex. And that's essentially exactly what she's doing now. And we saw that in the Fortress of Solitude scene. Right. Well, she quite specifically says she is not a villain and uh, you shouldn't have treated me like one. But most villains don't think of themselves as villains. Lex didn't either, so... <laughs> <laughs> right, he thought he was saving humanity. But, I mean, any outside observer would know that Lex is a bad person who likes hurting people. Lena doesn't like hurting people, it's just that she's got it in her head that mind-controlling them is not a form of hurt, which of course it is. Yeah, Lena's definition of hurting is pretty warped in this storyline. Even at the beginning of this season, I noted that I don't like how we got here with Lena. I agree that it is just so transparent that the kicker that started all of this off is really Lex's manipulation of Lena. And I think they've tried to sell it. They gave us a past flashback where we saw Andrea betraying Lena. So we get like another one of these things and reason to show why Lena is so sensitive to it. Yeah. But Lena is basically just wrong here. And it is unfortunate to watch. In some regards, I still kind of choose to watch this season, assuming that even if it wasn't Lex's manipulation, Lena still would have responded this way, just to make this at least a story about Lena, not a story about Lex manipulating Lena. Because I don't know if it really matters. The challenge here is just that Lena has a betrayal complex. Yeah. And for some reason, she thinks constantly reminding people about her having a betrayal complex makes it easier or better or solves the problem when all she was really doing was making it worse. Right. Given that she is in this mindset, however, I really enjoyed how she twisted the knife one more time, playing Do You Remember with Kara and saying, Hey, you remember when we were in the plane crash and I was so worried for you and all the time you could have saved us. <laughs> wow, you're a really good actress, Kara. <laughs> <laughs> It was so knife twisty. Kara goes on to say, telling you the truth was such a relief. And I'm so glad that now we can be honest with each other. And all of that is behind us. And Lena says, me too. 
I don't like how we got here, but this episode has wonderful things in it. I love Lena's complicated plan. I love how she manipulates Kara to get herself into the Fortress of Solitude. I think, as with all CW shows, there's security questions that I have to ask. Lena did an awful lot by touching three buttons on a computer. And when the L protocol came on and the computer says, Luther, relinquish your kryptonite ring and transmitter portal watch immediately... You think Kara would at least respond to those details? Yeah. <laughs> the computer's probably not wrong. She does have that. <laughs> Kara is defined by her, oh my god, you have kryptonite, how could you? I was just a little surprised there. I think they should have just not had those lines by the computer and it would have flowed better. I thought that she just assumed that the computer system was making a mistake, making assumptions about what a Luthor would bring in. I thought she just dismissed the idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, is that all that Lex would really bring with him? <laughs> so the fact that it only said those two things, I was like, okay, something else is going on here and they're just making Kara too dumb to realize it. <laughs> it was an unfortunate line. I almost wonder if that ADR wasn't present and they didn't even know that that was the line that was going to be said by the computer. <laughs> just weird in all ways, but it didn't take away too much. And everything else in the reveal was just so wonderfully painful even though Lena is just so wrong. If only Lena could see and feel what was inside of Kara's mind. <laughs> well, I have to say, I'm disappointed with Kara that she keeps saying over and over when Lena talks about her pain, Kara says, it's such a relief to have been able to tell you. It's, it's like she's skipping over Lena's pain and just focusing on her emotion of mild agitation at having suppressed a secret. Yeah, it really does feel mishandled on both ends of the friendship. And obviously, Lena's is a lot more drastic because she is taking all these extreme measures and she thinks she's not the villain, but she's certainly coming across that way. And Kara is so willing to trust her up until that moment when she's taking the one thing Kara wishes she could get rid of forever. I kind of wonder why Kryptonians have a fascination of keeping dangerous things. <laughs> she could have just destroyed it. She really could have. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Nothing's stopping you, Supergirl. <laughs> The only thing I'll give Kara credit for, or at least some slack, is how good of an actor Lena is. So while it's true that Kara is not being very considerate to Lena's feelings, Lena is showing none of those feelings. It is part of Lena's deceit that Kara is seeming inconsiderate. Yeah. So Kara's left trapped in a force field, but we assume she'll probably get out next episode. At the moment, maybe she's just too sad to get out. <laughs> <laughs> With the pace that they're moving at pre-crisis event, it does seem like that they're going to speed a few more things along here. And it's hard to imagine a lull with the Leviathan stuff, but maybe, you know, they thwart some of their plans and then they have to regroup or something along those lines to where that it wouldn't be attack, attack, attack all the time. And Kara could have, you know, a few days to deal with the crisis or five days, however many days it's running this year. <laughs> it's running five days, three in December and two in January. Okay. It's going to be hard, though, because they now have a setup where Ramakan can sense wherever 
Lena is on Earth and then can show up in pretty much instantly and try and kill her. Yeah. So I don't quite know how they're going to do that. What we might see is uh, do no harm come into play and... It's possible that's going to maybe cause a lull. It's hard to say what they're going to wrap up quickly because these last couple episodes have wrapped up and moved the plot super fast. And I'm not quite sure because, yeah, Crisis is so big. It could go a lot of different ways. All we really know is, I think, that Lena is going to try and do something bad. And hopefully she's going to learn that maybe that was a mistake. Right. Well, as far as I can see, there's nothing really preventing Lena from using Myriad to implement her do-no-harm mind uh, control as soon as she gets back. You know, that may be the thing that happens over the next two episodes, and we may not deal with Leviathan at all until the winter. True. Yeah, that's a fair guess. So, the other Leviathan thing going on was uh, Alex and Brainy getting to the secret hideout, but it turning out that they got diverted. Oh, and by the way, R.I.P. Rip Roar. Yes. <laughs> So Brainy had a head injury, which apparently weakened without completely disabling his inhibitor. That prevents him from just being... Evil Brainy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that was interesting. You know, he just uh, turns blue, taps one of his uh, head thingies, and apparently he thinks it's fixed. But then it turns out later that, no, something got joggled in there. It's like a whole new world for him again. <laughs> I have to admit, so many heroes and superheroes are around such massive explosions all the time, and this scene really makes no sense except for damaging Brainy and hurting Alex. I like that. If you're too close to an explosion, you can get a concussion or you can get hurt really easily, and you need to recover and damage is done. And while the Ripper as a plot device makes no sense. As a example of you can get hurt on the job doing these things, I quite liked it. And I'm very impressed by his image inducer deciding to present a cut where his bump thing was uh, damaged. <laughs> <laughs> and I like the fact that uh, Alex did need a day of rest and recovery, but it is pretty inconsistent with other explosions that we've seen happen where people just kept doing things. Going for full realism is too much to ask. <laughs> Let's just go for a taste of realism, and that'll be enough. I'm not really asking for realism so much as consistency. <laughs> uh, I suppose there's that. Consistency would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> right. So one of the things that we see is um, Brainy with his new enhanced peripheral brain vision, <laughs> as he sort of calls it, that he gets with the loosening of the inhibition. So he tracks down Leviathan's headquarters is oh so coincidentally right here in National City and finds the secret headquarters and he takes Alex and Alex very sensibly tries to call Supergirl, but uh, she of course is busy with her battle at the Fortress of Solitude. And so they take the elevator down and it turns out just to be an elevator shaft to a bunch of rocks. And we see, I forget her name again, the Johankar woman. The name we cannot pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> Madam M. <laughs> 
says, oh, good, the security measures are working. So, right, they were somehow purposefully diverted from the path that we saw Margot, the Leviathan agent, taking earlier to get to the headquarters. Though, really, there was bits of that scene that didn't make a lot of sense. Admittedly, Brainy's lines weren't supposed to make sense, where he went from tar pits to eruptions to emitted energy-boosting brain functions. That wasn't supposed to make sense. That's okay. There's some iconography to hook up the locations to Leviathan. That's fine. But the security measures in this episode are generally just strange. They put a lantern on. Our security measures work. We let them find our super secret elevator, which obviously connects to something, but we just don't show them what it's connected to. Ah, weird. There's also an economy of characters issue where really only the two of them go. There's no backup. No one's tracking what they're doing. In the other plot line with John going off on his own and finding something which he should have had backup for. So it it generally felt like there was some risk taking that was unnecessary. But I don't know. I suppose security measures are what security measures do in these shows. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Security measures are only as good as the people who are following or ignoring procedures. So (laughs) there you have it. A lot of people on this show ignore things. Procedures? What are those? Backtracking a little bit, we discover in this episode, as you said, David, that uh, actually Leviathan is an organization of aliens, only two of whom we have seen so far, and I'm not sure whether there are any others or not, but it appears that one of them, the Earthbender, definitely has power over the Earth, although I'm not sure why he would be powerless On the Fortress of of Solitude, but anyway, you know, if he goes to the Fortress of Solitude and doesn't have powers there because it's Krypton, why does Supergirl still have powers in the Fortress of Solitude? She's solar-powered, not Earth-powered. Uh, okay. (laughs) But anyway, the woman doesn't appear to have powers that we are shown yet anyway, but she tells the Earthbender that he shouldn't rely on brute force all the time. So we assume that she has some kind of more subtle powers. I'm assuming she's an internet bender. (laughs) And I just would like to note, oh my, they're using the word earthbender so many times in this episode. (laughs) I was so happy that I had made the airbender joke a few podcasts ago about (laughs) Breathtaker. And now we have earthbenders, alien earthbenders, ancient earthbenders. How do we find the earthbender? Wow, I'm sure the Avatar, the last airbender people are very happy now. I think we do actually know numbers because there are two other people at the table who are out of focus. Mm -hmm. And this episode loves putting characters out of focus in the background. And it was mentioned that there were five leaders who escaped another sister planet around Krypton's star. And we know that the elder left, whoever the elder was. What does leaving mean? I have no idea. But it implies there were five of them that showed up, and there are now four since they arrived and killed off all the dinosaurs. So I think there are two others, and they've yet to be introduced. We'll see if they're benders. So do you think they killed off the dinosaurs deliberately, or was that just a thing that happened when they arrived by accident? Probably just a thing that happened when they arrived would be my guess, because, you know can't really live with dinosaurs. <laughs> I, I don't think you crash your asteroid-sized spaceship. Though, what does asteroid-sized mean? That's not a unit. <laughs> it is roughly this big, but we're not going to give you an exact size. Big enough to not burn up in atmosphere <laughs> and small enough to not be a moon. 
it was it was big enough to kill off the dinosaurs. But yeah, I would assume they crashed on Earth and that was a side effect. Okay. But we'll see. I liked how Lena is continuing to set up her manipulation here, um, that she's going to have Supergirl save her, but she's just doing this to get Leviathan's attention. I think a lot of that works really well. I quite like we have this someone who's trying to kill you walks into your room and for some reason there's nothing stopping them. <laughs> Now, they don't really explain it, but they do suggest that the penthouse security had been turned down to allow Margot to come in. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always nice when they put a lantern on the security failures, but they still have enough security up such that Margot can't actually steal the medallion that Leviathan still wants. Right. Lena is protected from the energy weapon that Margot fires at her. But the security isn't good enough to stop Margot from just leaving again. So that would seem to be a deficit in Lena's trap to me. Why did she let her get back out? Right. Yeah, I'm not totally sure Lena is fully aware of what she got herself into by taking that medallion still, because we've seen that these characters are beyond strong. You know, Supergirl was using her powers and they just went right through them. And you're like... Oh, okay. And he's just going to put his body back together? Like, <laughs> you know, there are so many unknowns with these characters and with Leviathan in general that I think things are still really going to heat up before Lena can even get Myriad working. At least I feel like it would be more intense if they did it that way. We really don't quite know what Lena knows, though, because she did get all of the information she had out of Hope slash Eve. So there was a, a data dump between the episodes that we didn't see. Right. And also, she has a bunch of background researching that medallion, so she might have some context there. So it's a little unclear what Lena does and doesn't know. Also true. This episode put a nice lantern on. Here we're going to reuse footage of the attack from Lena in the park, and we'll just put it up on the wall again. But this time they nicely excuse it because Brainy says, thank God for selfie culture. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about Alex post-explosion, since we only touched on it briefly? Before we get to that, I just do want to ask one more question about the aliens. Okay. So with all of the disasters in the past that he has been present at, has he been causing those disasters? And if so, why? If not, has he been trying to alleviate them somehow and just stopping humanity from being destroyed, but still having disasters happen. I don't see him alleviating anything, <laughs> honestly, with the way he's acting over a medallion. You know, it's like he is going to great lengths to get this medallion back just because Lena is the one who has it. He didn't seem to be wanting it back when mm -hmm. Andrea had it. You think he's just been causing various disasters throughout history to stop humanity from going in one direction or another? Well, if you look at a lot of these actions, historically, they would have been called acts of God. God. Mm -hmm. And well, guess what? They were acts of a godlike being in this regard. Yeah. To the point where they actually accredited the flood that made Noah have to float away. So there were a lot of suggestions that this is sort of a nasty god where they would make horrible things happen to try and communicate their displeasure with man. And that is, I think, realistically, the type of Old Testament-y Gnostic-like god that Ramakhan represents. And basically, yeah, whenever people did anything he didn't like, he swatted them. <laughs> and I suppose humans were just supposed to get the message. Yeah, I did like 
Brainy ruefully saying, you know, people were saying this is just nature, there's nothing supernatural about it, but it turns out that the fear mongers were right in a way. <laughs> so, um, Alex and Kelly? Laton pack here too. <laughs> <laughs> they actually talk about things, which is always something that I appreciate seeing happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it's one of those moments where you can kind of feel it coming over the last maybe two or three episodes because of Kelly's reaction to things and the fact that she lost someone she loved in a very similar fashion to what Alex is going out and doing every day. Because it seems like there is no downtime at the DEO. And even though she's the director of the DEO and typically directors aren't in the field. So that's also one of those things where you're like, okay, well, this is a fictional agency that doesn't really exist. So I guess we'll just run with it because Alex is the kind of person who is certainly going to want to be in the field. And that's something that Kelly is just struggling so hard with. And even though I think this relationship was really good for Alex, given that all she had been through previously in, you know, all of the seasons up to this point, essentially, and to have it at least end with an adult conversation about something instead of, you know, just being ghosted or having these weird things happen, it felt like such a relief to have it handled in this way. Indeed. I agree they set it up very nicely because we have the previous episode where Malefic is pretending to be an army friend of Kelly's who was suffering from PTSD. And then, yeah, we had historically have conversations about what happened to Kelly. So I think they, they really nicely ramped this up mm -hmm. and they show that this relationship has been good for Alex, but has issues for Kelly. Looking back two seasons ago, this feels somewhat related in that Alex was supposed to become the director so that she would have a slightly less risky job so she could adopt a child and become a mother. Yeah. <laughs> I expect it's still happening. It just they haven't gotten around to it yet. I forgot about it. <laughs> right. Well, I think she keeps sending out the most capable person she knows on these missions, and that <laughs> happens to be herself. So maybe she really needs to work on some mentoring of the uh, junior DEO people so that they can handle a mission once in a while. I think if they're going to sort of curb the love interest storyline too, that would open up some room for a member of the DEO to have a more prominent role. Because really, we don't get too much of a lot of the other members of the DEO, which I think is a shame. They should probably bring like one or two of them to the forefront a little more every now and then, because otherwise it's just kind of Alex and Brainy and Supergirl and the other people are just kind of there. They keep killing them off. <laughs> well, yes, that too. <laughs> this show has a serious economy of actors problem. They don't have either the time on the screen or the budget to get other actors to really present something that would make a little more sense. And that's a bit unfortunate. They want to have a story with these characters. So these characters need to be in all these places. There's no good Watsonian reason for any of this. This is all just doyalist construction problems. Yeah. And I agree. It just feels a little fragile in the casting. And unfortunately, them moving John out of being the director has put a kind of a sharp relief. Yeah, because then we're spending more time away from the DEO whenever he's in the picture. And they keep bringing a lot of people at CatCo to the forefront. Nia wasn't in this previously, and now she's on the CatCo side of things, more so 
even than the hero side of things for the most part. She does, you know, put on her suit and stuff still, but it seems like this season a lot less so. And then you have the whole storyline with Andrea and the journalist who came over from right. England or something. And, you know, I'm totally blanking on his name right now. I don't know why. William Day. There we go. And you have these other characters that they're willing to pull to the forefront, but then the DEO is sort of just this mysterious machine that keeps chugging along no matter what happens. And I know last season, we did have that whole storyline where Alex wasn't the head of the DEO, neither was Jean, and they had this oversight that they didn't care for. So they did get a lot of time at the DEO then, but it wasn't necessarily any time that was like actively productive for them. If the colonel was still around, this plot would actually hold together better. Right. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Again, economy of actor failure. <laughs> I, I think really this scene also aligns nicely with the others because this episode ends with these three sort of confrontation conversations. And they both end in very different places and they work very different ways. And Kelly and Alex's conversation is a very human one where there's kind of no magic involved, but they actually talk and they actually communicate with words. With Lena and Kara, they talk, but they don't actually communicate. And when we get to John and Malefak, they talk, but that wasn't enough. And I like how these three scenes, and they're all really strong scenes, all play out differently as these pairs of people try to communicate. Yes. Yeah, yeah, good point. So I guess back to uh, Malefic and Jean and Mirren in Jean's memory, or however that works. I guess that when Jean dropped his shields and Malefic went through his mind, he must have lived a lifetime in those few moments that we see. So for me, it seemed jarringly short from I'm going to look at your memories and then I'm going to kill you to brother and a hug. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I have to remind myself that those like five instant scenes that we saw were just samples probably of him living Jean's whole life with him. Otherwise, the hug would be unconvincing. I would agree with that. It was convincing to me. They, they sold it to me enough that uh, the Martian mind bonding is a very sudden but deep sharing of memories. Yeah, I think they sold it as well as they could have given the circumstances surrounding just the whole thing in general. And it feels like we still don't totally understand everything that the Green Martians are capable of. It seems like every time something comes up with Jean, we're learning something new about either their powers, how their people communicated with each other, and things like that. And I think this is certainly one of those circumstances where, you know, they had a specific reason for doing this thing. And now that it's all coming back to them, it's like, okay, there's still a lot to unravel here. I was a little surprised that Malefic could bond with John. Yeah. Because I thought that was sort of the challenge he had, that genetically he was a mutant among green Martians and uh, didn't te do telepathy quite the same way. But maybe I'll give them just the bonding as being a slightly different thing than the hive mind. Also, I thought that the stuff Malefic went through with the um, obsidian vision stuff somehow let him bridge that gap. That's possible too. The biggest thing I was happy about beyond all of the John Mirren scenes, which I really quite liked, even though he's just kind of talking to the subconscious version of his dad. <laughs> I just adored that Mirren actually took some responsibility, saying, no, John, it was I who failed. <laughs> 
Yes, it was Mirren. John said, this feels like the third time that he's been sentenced to confinement by my hand. No, it isn't. That was your father the first time. <laughs> There's all this thing where John is taking all this responsibility for, I think, decisions that obviously weren't his. His decision for putting Malefac in the Phantom Zone, that is, I think, the most important one I would think that would affect yeah. Malefac. And that is seems to be what Malefac is complaining about the most when talking to John. And therefore, it felt tighter to me that they, they were blaming people for at least moderately the right things. <laughs> right. So one assumes that when they get out of that hug, they'll look around and Jean will realize from talking with Malefic that, hey, Lena's been holding Malefic captive. And so he'll be coming at the whole Lena plot thing from a different angle. And one can only hope for Lena's sake that when she portaled out of the Fortress of Solitude, she was going to her office, not to the lab. There's other other questions I have there in that, at least at some point, Malefac was obviously caged and unable to get out. How did John get in and can he get out? So both of those are two unknowns. And the real one is, did John leave a message telling them he was going to do this and that Malefic was in town? Because if he didn't tell anyone, that was a really bad decision. Going on track record, I would say he didn't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> These characters just need to learn when to ask for help and tell people things. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that Malefic was now free of the cage because last episode, uh, Lena had incepted him to think that he likes hanging around the lab. That is possible. But we'll find out very quickly when we see them next. Yes. Without a doubt, though, yeah, John now knows that something pretty serious is up with Lena. And it'll be interesting to see how that gets communicated back to the group, whether that's easy or whether that's hard. The other thing that I think was a bit strange in the Malefic plotline was we never got to see Kelly respond to Malefic, which I thought was a bit of a disappointment that uh, Kelly wasn't part of finding out Malefic. But maybe that will still come into play in the later episodes. Yeah, I don't think Kelly is going to totally go away because of her connection to Obsidian, even though her and Alex might not be together in the long run. I, I think they're going to try and be together, though. Like, she tried to break up. She was about to break up. I would interpret this as, no, she's going to try a little harder and try a little longer and see if they can make it. Yeah, work. I think so. This was a multi-episode arc to sort of put some pressure on that relationship, but I don't see a reason why it needs to be an ending of it. I don't think so. Yeah, it seemed like they tested their relationship and now they're going to be even stronger together because of that. They're going to have more adult conversations soon. And I think, you know, one of those will have to happen next episode since Alex's work rudely interrupted. <laughs> Without a doubt, I just like this show giving us a few adult conversations. Sometimes the relationships are a little hard to watch. And this one is dealing with issues that are definitively difficult issues to deal with. And the adult conversations are just so nice to see. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that arc has been pretty satisfying for me. Agreed. And it does really make a nice contrast with the people who don't talk their problems out. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I guess thoughts for the future. I assume that the loosening of the inhibition will eventually cause problems for Brainy and his relationships with the rest of the team. I strongly felt when we saw the amoral Brainy before that we would see that again. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is going to be that kicker where we're, we're back on a path where we're going to, again, see the somewhat more brainiac, unemotional, sort of monstrous brainy coming back into play. Now, it got resolved really quickly last time. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to tell what time frame they want that storyline to be and whether or not it'll affect the crisis. Because at this point, everything's up in the air yeah. until we really get an idea of what the effect crisis is going to have on this plot, these plot lines. I kind of want them to keep Brainy this way until after crisis, because I feel like he's going to be so much more useful on crisis <laughs> in this mode than he would be back to his quote-unquote normal self. And obviously, this is certainly going to impact things with Nia, which is another relationship that is sort of going through its paces right now. Right. Yeah, I don't actually know if anyone besides Supergirl is going to be involved with Crisis, but I guess we'll find out in a couple of weeks. So soon. I'm about halfway through still the uh, Crisis comic uh-huh. anthology. I'll, I'll have to finish that off in the next couple of weeks, and I don't know what that's going to do to me. <laughs> it's kind of silly. Okay, any other points of discussion? I can't think of anything. <laughs> I, I just really like this episode. I'm very happy after that one episode that was not very good. <laughs> uh, we've had two episodes that I both quite enjoyed. Yeah, I was surprised that they moved so quickly, but... Uh... I'm really pleased that they feel confident (laughs) that they have enough plot to get through the rest of the year without dragging this stuff out as they have dragged out some other plot lines in previous seasons. Yeah. All right. I guess that'll do it. I would like to thank both of you for a very good conversation. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me back after so long away. (laughs) Absolutely. What a pleasure. (laughs) I'd like to thank The Incomparable for hosting us, as always, and... Of course, I would like to thank you, the listeners. Y'all can continue the conversation with us on uh, Twitter at SG Supercast or on the members Slack channel for the Incomparable. And we'll hope to hear from you. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye.